everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with CJ McCollum of the Portland Trailblazers, the new president of the National Basketball Players Association. We're here on 6th Avenue in the PA's offices. CJ, how are you, man? I'm great. I appreciate you having me on the pod, man. Thanks for the introduction. Of course. Of course. You, you, you like hearing that? The president? That's not... That's not bad. I got to get used to it. People call me Mr. Prez. They, they're singing the songs, but um, it comes with a lot of responsibilities, but I'm honored and uh, privileged to be in this position and thankful for it and look forward to continuing to build on what CP and the others have done before me. So you had been involved in the Players Association. You've, you've been a vice president for a few years. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Why? Why would you want to be president and take on it is enough to play on a contender in this league the way you do in Portland, but this is a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of headaches, to be honest, along with the, the good things. But why why take this on? Why run? I felt like it was the next step in my progression. Uh, I haven't been a part of um, the executive committee for four years, uh, sitting in on meetings, you know, kind of going through that process of learning more about our league, learning more about uh, some of the issues we've had, learning, learning more about some of the things that we've done well, some of the things we can improve on. Um, I felt like I wanted to really impact the next generation. I felt like from an education standpoint, there was some ways that I could continue to kind of uh, help share knowledge with the players. And I felt like based on what CP had done, based on the relationship I had built with CP, with with Dre, um, with Michelle, with the with Ron, with everyone, I felt like I was really well suited for the job, and I felt like I could really truly make an impact. It's something I care about. Obviously, I don't get compensated for it. Like you said, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of calls, it's a lot of hours. When things go well, it's it's like the union did great. When things go poorly, it's the C- it's now the president now CJ's fault. So I. I embrace those responsibilities. I embrace those challenges. And uh, I look forward to just continue to do what's best for the players on behalf of the players, for the players, and, and continue to try to figure out ways to, to leave this game better than it was when I found it. What was the best, what has been maybe so far, the best piece of advice Chris Paul has given you about taking this on? I, that's a, everybody asks me that question. I, I talk to CP a lot. Um, haven't, haven't met him back, you know, when he had his – Chris Paul, uh, what is it, point guard camp back in uh, Winston-Salem or somewhere in Carolina. I met him a long, long time ago in his family, and I kind of gravitated towards his work ethic, you know, how he approaches things, his business acumen, and and obviously how great he is as a leader for his teams. And just being able to kind of absorb, watch how he handles business, watch how he conducts himself. um, I think the communication is is the biggest, the biggest key. You know, having to be a voice uh, one of the voices on behalf of the players figuring out ways to kind of rally and, and do what's best for the masses and while putting your own individual interests you know aside I think he's done a, a tremendous job and I think just that communication being able to speak to not only star players but you know you know guys that may be on a minimum two-way players guys that are in and out the league figuring out what's what's best for for everyone and being able to communicate that efficiently effectively while also being able to to crisis manage. I mean, it's a big, big part of the, the job. You look at some of the stuff we went through in the bubble, you know, figuring out if we're going to play or not. There's a lot of different personalities, great personalities um, in this league, but there's a lot of people in different situations to where, you know, from a money standpoint, they don't may not necessarily need to play. And you have to kind of figure out what's best for everyone. I think Chris has done a really good job of, of continuing to help evolve our game while taking care of, you know, players that are no longer playing. You mentioned the bubble CJ and there's going to be different times you're going to have a collective bargaining negotiation with the league and you'll see it there again 
there are players like yourself who are on a hundred million dollar plus deals. They're going to be, but there are more players in the league who are year to year and have not, um, who missing a season or who, whatever it is, would f- impact them perhaps more financially in the short term. Like you said, there's a lot of different agendas. I think you saw it maybe most acutely in the bubble on the way into the bubble, deciding about playing that season. But then once you got there and you had to decide, are we going to continue on? Was that as, I don't know, maybe vivid of a flashpoint as you could imagine of being in the bubble? And there was a decision made about moving forward and going into the bubble. Are we going to do this? That sort of really illustrates how diverse your membership is. Yeah, that definitely painted the picture for me personally. And, and I mean, I went on record saying I didn't want to go to the bubble. I didn't I didn't want to leave my family. I was at a state in a, in a place, you know, mentally where um, I had gone through a lot. I had seen a lot. I had some losses and I just felt like I wanted to be with my family. And obviously I'm in a position financially where that's an easy decision for me, but I'm affecting so many people with that choice, that decision. I ultimately told the team, we're going to vote on it. And whatever you guys want to do is what we'll do. Majority wins. And obviously majority won and we end up going to the bubble. But Actually being in the bubble, kind of seeing, you know, the breakdown of everything, what everybody's sacrificing um, from, a, from a standpoint of sacrificing your own individual um, goals, wants, and needs for the greater good of your team, for your staff, for your organization, for the people um, that work in your arenas uh, that, that aren't paid, you know, quite as much as you are. I think you kind of seen um, a lot of players you know, doing what's best for the group, and that's that's sometimes hard to do, and I think... Obviously, when we when we stopped playing, we had to kind of go through those discussions, you know, behind closed doors. It was, I mean, the, it was the, it was the type of discussion you 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 have you know, amongst 400 plus players and coaches to where it's not always going to be pretty. Uh, but at the end of the day, we did what was what we felt was best while being able to kind of continue to figure out ways to spread our messages, to empower our communities, and to uplift people who may not have a voice. And I think um, Chris did a tremendous job, Michelle did a tremendous job, and the players as a whole. You know, obviously. We put on a we put on a pretty good show. We gave people an escape, you know, from a, a tough situation that's still continuing to occur. And um, I learned a, a lot from that because, like I said before, I didn't really personally want to go to the bubble. But I think having gone, having having experienced it now, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that we did because we were able to impact real change, um, not just on the basketball court, but in our communities in terms of the voting and all the things we were able to come up with, um, the committee, the advisory board, and so on and so forth. Did going through the pandemic and to see what life is like without fans, without the revenue, the players and the owners have essentially a equal share in revenue and your salaries are built off of, you know, it's called the BRI, the basketball related income, and they're tied together. Was it a reminder or just uh, really seeing the reality of how fragile this all is? Like, it's one thing you, you say you agree to a guaranteed contract and you agree to a number. It may not be that number if the revenue right. drops and players are seeing that. Is it been uh, maybe eye-opening? And I think for the owners it has, too, in the league and for the players that this is fragile. Absolutely. I, I think this has kind of showed us the importance of uh, diversifying, the importance of saving your money, the importance of educating yourself outside of your sport, being able to to have healthy hobbies. Uh, I think all those things are important because from a mental standpoint, we all went through different types of anxiety, depression, 
um, things of that nature because you were used to a certain lifestyle playing a sport a certain way it's taken away and then you add in the pandemic you add in the testing you add in the the threat the fear of not only your family members you potentially catching it and passing it to you know some older family members in your household so that was a really really tough time and i think those conversations i had with a lot of younger players and players across the league was that look we have to continue to, to, to teach financial literacy. We have to continue to, to educate our younger players. It's getting younger and younger. Uh, I remember when I was, you know, first coming to the league, we had the, the Mo Williams of the world, the Chris Caymans, you know, 33, 34, 35, 36. Now I'm almost 30 and we got 19 year olds. We got kids that are born in 2003, 2004, which is insane, like coming into our league. So from that standpoint, we just have to continue to, to uplift each other and also teach the value and the importance of, of saving money and, and diversifying. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I think one of the hallmarks of Chris's tenure, he was the president for two tenures, essentially eight years, has been player empowerment. What does player empowerment mean to you? How do you see it? How important is it for this league? And, and like what, it, what part of that drives how you'll lead and what you want to build on for this whole union? Player empowerment is, is everything. Um, we want to continue to, to do what's best and what's right for the players. I want to continue to, to speak on behalf of them, be their voice, but also understand what they want to accomplish and what we want to accomplish as a whole. And I think Chris has, has done an excellent job of that, of rallying, rallying everyone together, you know, figuring out what the, what the – best scenario best case scenario is for for all parties involved and figuring out how to grow the pot i think at the end of the day we all want this game to be beautifully played we want it we want it to be done a certain way but we also want to continue to figure out ways to, to generate income so that you know when we're retired and we're looking back you know I always joke and say like the players should be showing up to the arena you know in spaceships at, at, at eventually you know what <laughs> i mean they should be making that much money because of how well we're treating this game, how engaged our fans are, and how we've been able to expand internationally. I think with with all those things, you know, kind of in mind, it all starts with, with figuring out ways to empower our players, figuring out ways to encourage our players. And I think Chris has done a great job, and hopefully I can continue to, to kind of follow those footsteps. How do you think player empowerment has impacted the competitive balance of the league? I knew that question was coming. I believe in free will. I, I I think Draymond talked about it. A lot of players talk about it. There's no issues when someone works at Apple or someone works at Google and they leave when their contract is up. And I think the same should be said uh, about the NBA, about the NFL, the MLB. Um, when you're a free agent, you have a right to go you know, where you feel is best for yourself and your families. And I think historically, 
Um, some players like to go home. Some players like to go to warmer cities. Some players like to go to tax-free cities. But I think from a competitive balance standpoint, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, we talked about this offline. You got to get lucky, too. Like, mm -hmm. you draft a guy like Giannis, right? He turns into Giannis. You, you trade for a guy like Chris Middleton, who Detroit seemingly didn't want and you continue to build 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 and you swing for the fences you, you bring in drew holiday like you start doing things to kind of transition towards winning and then hope for the best and it still takes luck so i think from a from a player empowerment standpoint i think we've done a great job of, of giving our players freedom of giving our players the right of choice which is really important and allowing them to make decisions they feel is best for them and i think What's meant to be will always be, and things will work out. Um, look at the Brooklyn Nets. They've assembled a, a very, very good team, but it still takes a lot of good fortune for you to kind of execute and win a championship, and I think we're heading in that in that direction, and I think the league the league is pretty well balanced now. Like Eastern Conference, you look at the Western Conference, there's a lot of good teams and a lot of young teams who uh, have bright futures like the Atlanta Hawks. Here's the thing I wonder about, CJ. How the Nets did it, getting Kyrie and KD together in free agency. How Miami did it in 2010, bringing in LeBron and Chris Bosh to join Dwayne Wade. That might be more the outlier moving forward that teams may be built more by guys taking a Supermax deal, staying where they are, taking, because you can make more money re-signing where you are. Right. And then when they're ready to move on, pushing to be traded. Versus, because you start to look out at the free agency classes coming, and I don't know when we're going to see another Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving out together in free agency. And I wonder if that's, you know, James Harden, you know, a couple years left on his deal. Hey, I want to move on. I want to go to Brooklyn. They get a deal done. He goes to the Nets. I, I wonder if that's going to be more, more player movement comes in that respect than the all-NBA type player let's say the top 15 guys going out into unrestricted free agency. Yeah, I, I think I think it remains to be seen, but based on the contract structure, based on the deals, I think the fact that you make more money staying is, is very enticing for a lot of players, especially from a comfort standpoint. You know, a lot of people have families, a lot of players get get used to a certain city used to a certain lifestyle i've been in portland a long time like i know the drive i know what restaurants i want to eat at you know what i mean i, I know what wineries i want to go to you just get comfortable in a certain type of situation where you you don't really want yearn for or need change and i think a lot of players have gotten to that point where you see like mb you see these players with years left and they're like give me the extension like i'll take it now like what, what am i waiting on and in the event that things don't work out they can always kind of work something out later but i think it's a double-edged sword because fans media like sometimes complain about you know players wanting to leave but what about when when teams want to get rid of a player what about that aspect of it what about me seeing you know guys get traded you know around christmas <laughs> you know what i mean what about mm -hmm. what about teams you know having a guy under contract waiting until free agency's over to decide that they don't want to renew his contract like those are some serious situations that are never really talked about and should also be discussed. I've seen, seen the Kendrick Nunn situation. He was uh, going to be a free agent. They basically waited till the money dried up, right? I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. Has this, has, have you seen this happening in the league and not being discussed at all where they talk about players forcing their way out, player movement? But then what about the manipulation that goes into some of these situations where uh, teams are waiting for the market to dry up before they release a player's rights? There's no question, and I think... The league has 
teams have exerted much more force around the guys on the edges and locked them into, you know, very team-centric deals, you know, that really like, – we're seeing more deals that look like football. We're seeing more uh, fewer – guaranteed years we're seeing more trigger dates we're seeing again contracts that look a little more like the nfl than we would always see in the nba and you're right and i think when the league and union and the when they decided on you know essentially shorter contracts i mean there was a time you could do seven year you could you could be in a contract for seven years you could do six seven year extensions uh now the most you can do is five you know you saw you know, some players with, you know, Joel Embiid had two years left, adds four years onto his deal. Like that's, I think that's the most you could be under contract for now is six. But the thought with the league, I think was, if we make it so that you can make more money by staying, you can get more years by staying, guys are going to take the longer term guaranteed deals. And that will, I think, slant it a little bit toward players staying where they are, right? But as you said, free will is free will. And you can go, if you want to get into free agency, if you're willing to take less, you can go to a state where the tax laws are different and make up money. I think we saw for a bit where guys weren't taking the long contracts. They weren't necessarily taking this, the full supermax. They were doing shorter deals, and it was giving them flexibility. And it was keeping pressure on organizations to improve, to commit. And so I think like we've seen both, we've seen both of that here in the last, but I think the last couple of years we're starting to see more not so much the shorter deals, but like with the super max numbers, I'm going to lock into those numbers. And I think that was, it gives you security and it gives the team where a guy can, you know, and maybe sometimes it's a smaller market, uh, an advantage to be able to keep a guy. Yeah. And I like that. I, I like the idea of it all because I think when you're invested into something like wholeheartedly invested, I think you put yourself in a position to succeed. The organization puts themselves in a position to succeed where they can kind of look at everything and say, hey, we made a commitment to you. You've made a commitment to us. Uh, we want to we wanna live live up to our end of the bargain. We know you're going to live up to your end of the bargain, and this is this is where we're at. And it's a three-year, it's a four-year, it's a five-year. And I think players like Embiid, you know, players like Trey Young, Luka Doncic, you know, I don't see them leaving. You know, they're, they're in cities, they're in situations where um, they're happy. Uh, the organization loves them, admires them. You know, I, I seen someone joke on Twitter saying that, you know, you know, if you want to give me $200 million, like I'm coming to see you. Like they're getting on planes to go see guys, you know, internationally. Like that's a that's a different level of appreciation and dedication um, to deliver. And I think these players are, are starting to understand it. I think me personally, like I'm thankful, you know, for my situation. I'm thankful for what I've been able to go through and experience um, in Portland and forever grateful. And, you know, I've always tried to, to lock in, you know, my extension or, or my years like because I'm happy. And I think the organization has showed that. I think a lot of players um, that you're starting to see, you know, the Terry Rogiers of the world, shout out to my guy from Ohio, like locking in extensions because the grass isn't always greener. It's greener where you water it. And when you have that love, like mutually, it makes everything easier. What worries you when you when you start to look forward in this job and what's ahead for you, what's ahead for the players, the league? Is there one or two things you say that worries me? That's something we've got to get our, our arms around, or get better with, or is a, is a potential problem area for not just the players but for the league? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I think I think you touched on it. There's a there's a there's a number of things that we're trying to continue to improve um, across the board. But I think you talked about it. You know, looking at the contract situations, um, 
you discussed it. You know, deals are being announced and you're seeing a number, and then later on, it's it's you know the breakdown of the deal. You know, from the from financial implication standpoint of it may say forty million, twelve means guaranteed the first year, nine or ten million not guaranteed, and there's trigger days like you said before. There's a certain amount of games you got to play. There's like is it a playoff bonus, like. I'm seeing those things and, you know, as a player, not just, you know, take my presidential cap off for a second as a player. I think one of the things, you know, we've all liked about this sport is the guaranteed contracts similar to baseball. And, you know, as a as a person who hopes to have a kid one day, uh, you lead your kid towards those sports where it's the most guaranteed money. So like as a as an athlete, as a player, as a, as a president, you see those types of situations and it starts to worry you. You mentioned baseball, CJ, and the relationship between the players association in the nba and your players association and adam silver and the commissioner's office and the owners versus what it is like to be the head of the players association you might imagine in the nfl in baseball does it feel like a dramatically different dynamic to you in this league than maybe those other two those other two leagues it definitely feels like it obviously i can't speak to the type of relationships the, the nfl players may have you know you know, with the ownership groups or the MLB or other sports, because I'm not a part of their unions. But from the outside looking in, I feel like we have a a great working relationship. I think historically the NBA has done a great job. The ownership groups have done a great job of communicating effectively with players, trying to figure out how we can kind of help each other. And at the end of the day, the goal is to grow the pot. The goal is to continue to, to put on, you know, great performances for our fans and our cities and our families. And I think we've done a good job of that. And if you look at the bubble situation, for instance, where we kind of sat down with, with each franchise to kind of figure out um, what can we do collectively, not just, you know, amongst ourselves as players in terms of spreading um, continue to spread our information and, and figure out ways to speak for the voiceless. But what can we do in our respective cities? Is it, is it you know, loaning out our arenas for voting? Like, what can we do collectively to impact? And I think we've had those dialogues, those discussions, and the NBA has been great uh, in, in working alongside us. And then you look at how we handled uh, the pandemic, you know, being a major, you know, you could say we're one of the faces of sports. We don't play with helmets. We're very recognizable. And we were able to kind of maneuver a very, very tough situation. And I think a lot of other leagues and in, in, in unions kind of followed our league based on how we executed things. You, you look at what happened in March of, of 2020 when we shut down. What happened next? Everybody else shut down. Going into this year, CJ, and I think the thought was we're going to get as many players as we can vaccinated. The numbers are, were significant at the end of last season, and, and hopefully certainly maybe more guys have done that in the offseason here who hadn't. But now all of a sudden we're seeing certainly people who are vaccinated, not just because of the variant testing positive, people are getting sick. You know, we're going to see booster shots coming. That's going to be a part of this. And we sort of stopped testing on people who are vaccinated and those who aren't, we're going to have to continue to follow. You know, I think the league was going to make it it's not going to be easy if you're not vaccinated. Like there's going to be more protocols, testing, and the motivation is to get people to do it. How do you imagine going into a league, uh, into a season now where do we need to test? Do you guys need to test everybody all the time? Again, we're, we're seeing younger people get sick. We're seeing younger people not only get the virus, but get sick because of the, and, and a lot of your teammates, people are, are going home to young families. Does this all have to be reconsidered even before you get back to training camp? 
Yeah, I mean, we're definitely in discussions right now, obviously kind of figuring out what the protocol is going to be, but it's it's contingent upon agreement. You know, the, the players have to be in agreement. The the ownership groups have to be in agreement. The the union, the league has to be in agreement, and we have to kind of figure out what's best for everybody involved from a health and safety standpoint. So there, I don't think there's a right answer right now for, for like, how we're going to maneuver this. I think everybody's kind of playing it by ear and, and seeing – you know how how devastating you know this this situation has been like i've had family members catch covid i know players specifically um, who have lost family members due to covid like this is a serious situation a serious um problem that we're going to have to tr- try to figure out how to maneuver so i mean we're, we're still in discussions we're going to continue to kind of talk things out way feedback from players you went through the last season uh, I went on record saying the last season was the toughest season I've probably ever played in in my life. And that's with having, you know, foot fractures in college when, when I was a broke college student athlete. Like it was a very stressful year from from the testing to the paranoia to not being able to work out to like not being able to rehab sometimes because of, you know, close contact, close proximity. Like it was a tough year to having a test at, you know, 11, 12 at night and then testing two, three, four times a day. It was a lot. And I think. You know, for for us as players, for our organizations, for our staff, they went through the same thing where it was just mentally, physically, it was an exhausting season. So we have to figure out, you know, what's best for everybody. But I think we always want to put health first. I think that's the biggest thing. We want to all make sure that we're doing what we can to kind of prevent the spread of this um, disease. This will be your ninth season in the NBA. All in Portland, you were part of that 2013 draft class with Giannis and Giannis is you know I think your careers have been parallel same team same market I think there was only I had Cody Zeller on a few weeks ago before free agency and I think Cody had an interesting stat about your class that there were only like three or four guys from your group that were still with the same team he had been one in Charlotte you Giannis I'm not sure if there was another but certainly you've been on a little parallel path with Giannis you've done extensions in Portland You've had playoff success, just like he had playoff success in Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, they won a title this year, but you come back for year nine in Portland, new coach in Chauncey Billups. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've had a lot of stability there. You've had the same general manager, president, Neil O'Shea. You had the same coach, Terry Stotts. You had the same, you've had the same guard in the backcourt, Damian Lillard. And, and now there's some change. Chauncey's the head coach. And, you know, Dame has been – he's not asked for a trade. But, you know, there's been, I think, some question, and I think he's publicly shared it, about where his head is on being in Portland. What's your sense? I mean, training camp's not far off. What's your sense right now about where Dame is mentally on your team, your organization, playing there, you know, as you guys start to look out at a camp that isn't that far away? Yeah. I don't want to speak for him, but having a close relationship, Dame and I talk every day or every other day, you know, from sharing memes to, you know, sending videos to each other to serious talks about, you know, our season, what it takes to win, what it's going to take to win a championship. Like, I have a pretty good sense of, of, of where he's at. And I think, you know, his his goal is to win a championship. I think at the, end, at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We want to put ourselves in the best position to win a championship. But, I mean, he's he's all in. I I, I think, you know, at this, at this stage, at this state, I can say that he's all in. Uh, he just wants to win at the end of the day. And I think 
he's shown historically that he's a, he's the type of person that if he thinks something, feels something, he says something. And if someone comes out with something that's not true, he will correct it, uh, whether that's through the media or on Twitter. But on all accounts, based on what I've heard, based on what I've seen, uh, I, I think he just wants to win a championship and he wants to do it in Portland. We've talked about the parade route. We've you know we've shared you know what it would be like what that would feel like and that's our goal that's his goal i know it uh, we've, we've we've spoken on it many many times and i think from that standpoint you know right now our focus is just on getting better and improving i i personally want to improve and i have improved in terms of what i'm working on how i'm trying to get better for next season i wasn't happy with how the, the season ended not only for our team but me personally and i think it's just more so looking inward you know how do, how do you improve and i think that's how i've always viewed things i don't I don't look for excuses. I don't look for um, pointing the finger at others. I figure out how I can become better because that's all I can, can control. What has been your impression so far of Chauncey Billups, the conversations you've had with him, and, and how things might look different? Yeah, I actually talked to Chauncey the other day about how my Browns are going to whoop his Broncos. But <laughs> um, I think he just has a, a good sense of, you know, one, what it takes to win, what it takes to win a championship, having won, having won in Detroit. Um, and two, that communication level, that, that understanding of players, him being a guard, him um, being a defensive-minded you know, guard who can obviously score, you know, kind of spearheading a, you know, when you play point guard on a team like the Detroit Pistons, you, know, you got to be able to, to impact both ends of the court, but also be fierce. And I think he brings all of those things. Uh, he's a He's a very, very um, blunt person, very honest person. We've had a lot of conversations about defense, about what it's going to take. I've already, you know, spoke to him about accountability. Like, hold me accountable, hold Dame accountable. You got to challenge us, and we know that the only way for us to improve, you know, offensively, we're going to be, but we're going to be top three, top four. You know, you can, <laughs> you can put, you can put us out there with you and Chris Haynes and a couple other guys, and we'll figure out a way to be top five on offense. But we got to really make a dedication to that defensive end, and I think. And he's talked about, you know, figuring out ways to continue to implement more movement, figuring out ways to continue to, to tweak some of the things that we're already doing and then add to that from a, from a roster standpoint, roster composition standpoint of what we've added. Um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how everything turns out. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the schedule release and, and, and when we can get the ball rolling in September. I think people forget last year you, you were having your best – you were having a career season, the, the first several weeks of the season before you went down – with the injury, and listen, there were a lot of injuries all over the league, and, and, and a lot of people had to deal with them in different ways. Um, but this has been a really good team. Right? I mean, this is a team that's been to the conference finals eight straight years in the playoffs, which nobody else has done in the West. And Norman Powell came in at the trade deadline, and that's hard coming in at the deadline right. and figuring it out. It's a very short sprint to the playoffs mm -hmm. from there. And now you get a training camp. You get, you know – you. That becomes, you know, how do you work? Uh, how do you make maximize that? And you talked about it defensively. As good as the Blazers have been offensively, um, defensively you've been consistently among the worst in the league, right? And there's probably going to have to be some balance there. But are you more optimistic about this team, this group, than maybe some some others might be? Yeah, I mean, you talked about it. We've made the playoffs eight eight straight years. Um, we've gone to the conference finals. We're one of the only teams, you know, you look at, you know, the top, you look at the bottom. We're one of the only teams that has consistently, you know, been good and consistently probably outperformed our expectations. And 
I think this is this is another year where we're not going to be predicted to win a championship. I don't think we've ever gone into a season where they said we're the favorites to win a championship. And I think you look at Vegas odds, you look at, you know, what they had us winning, you know, 30-something games, 38, 39, 41, 42, things of that nature. I think for me personally, I don't know what's going to happen this season. I don't know what teams going to look like, you know, when we get out there and play together. But I do know that we're going to figure out to get it done because that's what we do we figure out a way regardless of circumstances to win we figure out a way to get into the playoffs and we figure out a way uh, to compete every night um, I think obviously injuries all that stuff matters you know it would be nice to be healthy for a full season not only for myself but for our roster but none of that stuff is is a guarantee but what I can assure you is that I will have another fantastic start to my season. I've been working on my game. I know our players have been working on their game. I've spoken to Nurk, I've spoken to Roko, I've spoken to D. I know the type of mentality and mindset they have approaching this season. We understand what's on the line, we understand what's at stake, and we hear the noise, and I personally hear the noise. So I'm looking forward to this season. And I know that based on what I've seen historically, uh, we have we have leadership, we have guys who've been here before. And going into my ninth season, I look forward to it. How do you work with Neil O'Shea, your president, as, as a, you know, when you're a cornerstone player and you're talking about who might fit, um, style of play, coach, all the things that an organization is going to include its star players in, and you and Dame, how's that dynamic work? You guys have been together, all of you. Neil drafted Dame, he drafted you. He's been the architect of this team. How does that relationship work, and, and, and how do you guys talk through you know, the ultimate decisions that, that get made. Yeah. Neil and I have a great relationship. Um, very transparent um, in terms of expectations, how I'm performing, input, things of that nature. He's been a, he's been a great resource for me, a, a blunt resource. If, if anybody knows Neil, you know, if I'm playing like he's going to tell me I'm playing like if I'm not shooting the ball well, things of that nature. Uh, we have that type of relationship. And when I'm playing well, you know, he's he's very encouraging. But I think you know, for me, I've always, you know, given information when, when it's appropriate, when it's necessary in terms of feedback on players who I think can be helpful, uh, things of that nature. But I also believe in doing your job. Like my job is to play basketball, continue to get better and help our team win. And his job is to figure out how to help us win from a management standpoint, from a roster construction standpoint, and from all the cap speculation and things they have to kind of maneuver. So. I kind of let him do his thing, um, but we do have a very transparent relationship uh, along with Dame. Um, continuing to to communicate things, obviously. Um, when you when you've been within an organization for so long, you're included in certain things, and uh, you're you're privy to certain information, as I'm sure most franchises and most organizations um, do, and 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 have that type of relationship with their players. But uh, I'm thankful to have a relationship with Neil. I'm thankful to be in Portland. Uh, you're talking about. Uh, a kid who came out of Canton, Ohio, a mid-major, you know, kid goes to Lehigh, uh, a school that's never drafted, never had a player drafted before, and then I get drafted. And right after Dame, you know, another guy who went to a, a mid-major um, university. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for Neil. Uh, he's, he's been, uh, he's been a, a great value add to my life. And um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing, you know, what, we, what we're going to be able to accomplish this upcoming season. And I'm looking forward to, to continuing to grow and evolve as a player and a person. I thought it was pretty neat that you, I think you were in South Florida around the time of Chauncey's press conference in Portland. And as I understood it, you, you flew across country to physically be there at the press conference. Why, why'd you do that? No, I, I think it's just a, 
a way to show my, my token of appreciation. You know, we're bringing in a new coach and we're making some changes. And obviously Terry was very good to me. I have a good relationship to Terry to this day. Uh, but it was just to kind of show my respects and, and to show that I'm committed. Like I, I was in, I was in Florida uh, for, for a bachelor party. And, and obviously I was, you know, made aware that we were going to be making a coaching change and, and that there would potentially be a press conference. So I flew in to, to make sure that I was there to support as, a, as a, one of the pillars of this team, a guy who's been with this franchise for quite some time, I just wanted to let him know that, you know, he has my support. This organization has my support. And um, I'm here to, to do what's necessary to help us win, help us continue to take strides in the right direction. But I think it was an easy decision. It wasn't hard. I think, you know, my job is to perform. My job is to be supportive. My job is to, to be a leader. And I think you know, I've displayed all those qualities consistently. Things have worked out pretty well for a journalism major <laughs> from the Patriot League. This is exactly how you imagined it, right? Coming out of Canton High School? Yeah. High school in Canton. Probably a little better than I imagined <laughs> it, for sure. But, you know, just, you know, through through perseverance, hard work, dedication, a lot of luck, a lot of prayer and opportunity, I've been able to to really um, progress, you know, well in this life on and off the court. And to, to be sitting here across the table from you here in New York City on 6th Avenue, um, I got a little office there in the MVP office. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's truly a dream come true and something I don't take for granted. And I think um, if, if I've learned anything from these past few years, it's to, to really live in the moment and be appreciative because life is fickle and life is fragile. And uh, you never know what's going to happen, not only in the sports world, but, but just in general, having lost some people close to me. So I try to just really enjoy everything, take it in, and as Giannis would say, just really be humble. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this was, uh, this was great, CJ. I appreciate you taking – the time out while you're here in New York, C.J. McCollum is the new president of the National Basketball Players Association and a little more of an offseason left and then it's back at it. Yeah, man, I got I to gotta get a couple Browns games, uh, see my in-laws, see grandma, uh, big bros heading to Russia, going to Loco, shout out to my big brother, and then it's back to the grind. The, the Browns, this, this might be it, right? This might be the season? Yeah, um, if I was a betting man, I would say 12 wins, you know, 11, 12 wins this season. Chiefs got us last year. My guy, Travis Kelsey, you know, he, he did what he needed to do. But this might be our year. I think Baker's playing with a chip. He's got a lot of money on the line, um, and he's going to deliver. I got faith in my quarterback. How many games – what's your – how do you have maybe September mapped out with their schedule? Where are you going to get to see him? Yeah, I'll be <laughs> – it's funny. My guy, Pat Champion, my guy, Pat – Connaughton is a champion now. He's invited me to a game in Chicago. I think it's Notre Dame, Wisconsin. So um, I got my permission slip signed to go. So I'll be <laughs> I'll be going to all the people in relationships know what that means. I'll be going to um, Chicago uh, to see a college game. My goal is to hit like I want to go to every SEC arena. Like I want to go to I want to get the full experience. But I'll, I'll hit up you know the the Big Ten scene you know with the Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and then I'll go to the game on the twenty sixth. Um, Cleveland Browns versus the Chicago Bears. Ooh. Fields should be starting by then. By then, I agree with you. I would yeah. say Fields might be. That's a pretty good quarterback battle there. CJ, thanks for thank you for doing this. Have a great rest of the summer, and we'll, we'll, we'll see you when the season gets rolling. All right. I appreciate you. Thank you. Today's interview with CJ McCollum has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness – Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, 
Portland Trailblazers guard C.J. McCollum, the new president of the National Basketball Players Association. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure also to listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse, and of course, my good friend Adam Schefter and the Adam Schefter Podcast. It's NFL season. Check out Adam's pod, and we'll be back with you next week. Have a great one. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.